4: Good morning i'm jane Pauley, and this is sunday morning more than 15 million americans hold hunting licenses the practice goes back to the very roots of our country and is part of a lifestyle often passed down from generation to generation some hunt for sport but a common theme among many is eat what you kill it's considered the honorable even the ethical thing to do And by one estimate, 95% of all hunters do just that. Lee Cowan hits the trail with one of the biggest names in the sport, a hunter with the skills of a top chef.
5: So that's dinner tonight? Yeah, that's a piece of elk meat. As the creator of the popular reality show Meat Eater, Steve Rinella is a professional hunter, but in that same capacity, he's
6: also a passionate conservationist. I've never encountered in my life a person who holds wild game in high regard, who doesn't hold wildlife in high regard. A man living off the land, but also
4: for
5: the land. Later on Sunday morning.
4: Tracy Smith sits down with Ben Affleck and Matt Damon, two old friends, together again in a new film that's sure to reach new heights.
7: Tomorrow I'm gonna wake up and I'll be 50. And I'll still be doing that.
4: They're one of Hollywood's
2: most dynamic duos. A rookie.
7: Yes. yes. Who's never set foot on an NBA court. That's the literal definition of rookie. Yeah.
2: And now, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon have a new film about Nike sneakers and a new perspective.
7: <laughs> There's nothing more that I want in my life. I thought, well, this, this is it. And then I thought, that might mean I'm about to die. I, I literally had the same
8: thought.
2: Matt and Ben, <laughs> comfortable, <laughs> well, like an old shoe, <laughs>
4: coming up on Sunday morning. He said he had the best Connor Knighton takes us to snowy Wisconsin oh! and the biggest cross-country ski race in the country. Rita Braver profiles NPR's Ari Shapiro, a journalist with some serious singing chops. Martha Teichner has the story of one of our oldest black towns struggling to survive. We'll have commentaries on the power of the unspoken word and the power of Jim Gaffigan to, well, lull you to sleep. All that and more this Sunday morning the 19th of March, 2023. We'll be back after this.
9: Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Get up to 30% off well-crafted and personalized gifts from participating shops until May 12th. This year, embrace your creative side. You know, the side your mom gave you? And shop Etsy for custom jewelry, style pieces, home decor, and extra special items she'll adore. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to
10: 500-500.
4: He's a lifelong hunter, wildlife conservationist, and a serious chef. Lee Cowan goes on the hunt with the meat eater.
5: I got him, he's in the trees. Here in the Sawtooth Mountains of Idaho, it took just moments for Steve Vernella and his bow hunting buddy Dan to spot some pronghorn antelope off in the brush. It's laying
6: in the shade.
5: It took them far less time, however, to realize that having me tag along was a really dumb idea. What kind of shot is that like for a bow? (laughs) Undoable. I've never hunted a day in my life, and yet there he was, with perhaps one of the most recognizable hunters in all America. I do what I was
6: born to do. Yeah. <laughs> and it's this kind of stuff, right? It's just what I like.
5: Steve Rinella is the creator and host of the popular TV and web series Meat Eater. You got him? Now, on. in its 11th season. It's hunting the way the hunter sees it, up close and personal. And for Ronella, hunting is
6: personal. At my core, I like nature. I like hunting, I like fishing, I like eating the stuff that I hunt and fish for. And I turned that into the work I do.
5: He came to hunting the way most people do. His father hunted.
6: Back then he saw it largely just as a sport. When I was 18, I was obsessed with hunting and fishing. I did not know nor use the word conservation. In my mind, all the resources we enjoyed, they fell from the sky. They were there for the taking. They would always fall from the sky. Get years while the getting's good.
5: But today, conservation is at the heart of almost everything Meat Eater does.
6: This valley is like so beautiful I can cry.
5: The quality of the hunting, he says, is only as good as the health of the population being hunted, be it deer, fish, or anything else. His point is that loving the wild while still taking a wild animal's life are
6: not mutually exclusive. I've never encountered in my life a person who holds wild game in high regard. Who doesn't hold wildlife in high regard. And they understand that there's a limit on how much we can pull from it. Where we end up dismantling and destroying the whole thing.
5: Whether you agree with that or not... It's nothing new. Charles Darwin, Ernest Hemingway, John James Audubon, all love nature and hunting. And then there's Theodore Roosevelt, who especially loved the
6: land. He saved about 50,000 acres of mountains, plains, woodlands in this country for every day he was in office. Why? (laughs) He was inspired to do that through a relationship with hunting.
5: That same idea Respecting the resource is what he's trying to teach his own children. And in part, he's doing that through food. So that's dinner tonight? Yeah, that's a piece of elk meat. At his home in Bozeman, Montana, Ronello's refrigerator is stocked with the frozen spoils of his adventures in the wild. Elk meat, uh, ducks, wild turkey. Everything in here, he says, has a story
6: that brings with it a discussion. Every night that we eat, we eat something that we grew, that we hunted, that we found out in the woods, that we found in our backyard every night. And there's not a night goes by, I'm not kidding, you, there's a, not a night goes by that we don't talk about it. We'll, we'll flip that in a minute. but
5: His cooking has attracted non-hunting viewers as well. Man, those sons of guns are good. Rinella has become the Julia child of the campfire. The last third of almost every Meat Eater episode He's cooking the day's catch or kill in ways that make the woods look like a three-star Michelin restaurant.
6: I'm gonna slice up my loin and prepare a very simple stag and pumpkin stew. I've read this story dozens of times. It'd be like, shock, like, wow, this chef, this famous chef, whatever, name your famous chef, has become interested in hunting. I was, of course he is. Because the guy's, he's interested in food.
5: He's not trying to convince animal rights advocates, for example, to suddenly become hunters themselves. First turkey.
4: Thanks, Steve.
5: But what he hopes anyone who is interested in the show will come away with is the notion that hunters aren't always the enemies of animal welfare.
6: I'm talking to my kind. By that I mean I'm talking to other outdoors men and outdoors women. I'm also talking to people who are, like, kicking the tires on this world, who are curious about it. They weren't curious, they wouldn't be watching.
5: Meat Eater has now grown into having a lifestyle brand, clothes and products for hunting. He's written a number of best-selling books, including cookbooks, and he has a top-rated podcast as well.
6: Like a black bear, right? She's going to spend two years tutoring her
5: offspring. His brand is based on a singular philosophy, that none of us live on the land
6: We live with it. You get to a point where you just have to give up and go home. The land beat you, or the sheep beat you, just by running out the clock. Back
5: in Idaho, suffice it to say that that pronghorn didn't care much for my nagging questions.
6: It's already tuned in. Like I was sitting here yakking away.
5: But for Steve Ranella, that's okay. What he likes most of all is showing his world to those experiencing it anew. There you go. And watching it through the eyes of people who have never seen it quite the way he does. He's looking right oh, at of for At least not yet.
3: Isn't that so wow. cool?
11: And there's another one. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Bite, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks.
4: It's part ski marathon, part Norwegian history, part street festival. Connor Knighton takes us to the starting line of a race like none other.
12: Berkey fever, got me eager as a beaver. Got me waiting for winter, got me praying for snow. Berkey fever, I'm oh a true believer. Just get me to the start line, I'll be ready to go.
13: Each winter, thousands of cross-country skiers from all across the world travel to the north woods of Wisconsin to travel more than 30 miles between the towns of Cable and Hayward. The American Biner is the largest cross-country ski race in the country, and the enthusiasm here is contagious.
3: We all got the Berkey fever, and it's just the excitement that builds about not only the race, but the whole event
1: of Berkey Week.
13: The official Biner race Berkey, for short, can fly by in a couple of hours for the most elite skiers. But leading up to the main event, there are days of activities. There are shorter races for children. There's a Barky, where dog lovers ski with their pets. Teams of six compete in giant ski races.
1: It's kind of like Comic-Con for athletes, is how I'm looking at it.
13: Jackie and Dan DeRoma are avid skiers. Jackie has skied the Berkey four times. Dan, 17. But for this year's race, they wanted to do things a little differently. These other racers are gonna be in spandex, Gore-Tex, you know, what are you gonna be wearing? Full on fur. (laughs) (laughs) Jackie, Dan, and Dan's father, Jim, were selected to be mascots of sorts, skiing the entire course on wooden skis, dressed as Norwegian folk heroes, all while carrying a baby doll. It's a tradition with roots in a far older history. As portrayed in the film The Last King, in the early 13th century, Norway was in the middle of a civil war. After King Håkon III died, members of the Berkebeiner faction skied his son, the heir to the throne, through the woods to safety. Each year in Wisconsin, three skiers reenact the rescue.
11: I think the fact that there is this real story about an event that now you're recreating it, I think that's pretty darn cool and pretty special, and I think it resonates with a lot of people.
13: Ben Pop is the executive director of the American Berkebeiner, which is modeled after a Norwegian race. There, every competitor skis with a baby weight backpack to honor the warrior's journey. Of course, you may be asking yourself.
11: Why is this crazy Norwegian history have anything to do with Hayward, Wisconsin in the middle of northwestern Wisconsin? Nowhere. It all came down to one man, Tony Wise.
13: Tony Wise was born in Hayward and was a born marketer. After serving in World War II, he decided to bring the competitive skiing he observed in Europe back home to Wisconsin, a place where Scandinavian ancestry is common, as a way to encourage tourism. His first Berkey race, held 50 years ago, had just 35 participants, most of whom had never cross-country skied before.
14: I swore up and down after that first, I would never do anything so foolish again, but...
13: Today, at age 75, Ernie St. Germain is the only competitor who's participated in every single race. But there are more than 2,000 athletes who have appeared in 20 or more contests, which can turn into grueling, all-day endeavors. The Berkey attracts skiers of varying ages and ability levels.
6: You're really going to discover who you are. It's one of the
14: toughest marathon courses in the world.
15: So let yourself kind of glide a little. There you go. Good.
13: That challenge is what attracts elite skiers like Olympian Caitlin Gregg, who's won the women's race a record-setting five times.
15: The Berkey course is unlike any other ski course that we get to race, not only here in the United States, but also in around the world. And I think that its terrain is so unique and so challenging that people just myself included, love that aspect of it.
13: The race itself has faced challenges posed by warmer winters. In recent decades, it's been canceled twice due to lack of snow.
11: It's really important that we look at climate change and weather, because if we don't have it, well, it's a big loss.
13: The event provides a major boost for the local economy. This town of fewer than 3,000 residents hosts close to 40,000 spectators. On race day, Hayward's Main Street overflows with cheering fans caught up in Berkey fever, for which the only prescription is more cowbell. The church bells signal the arrival of the first finisher. David Norris won this year's men's race with the commanding lead. Caitlin Gregg came in third in the women's division. But the biggest cheers of the day were reserved for the Doromas, Nearly seven hours after leaving the starting line, they skied onto Main Street and swapped out the baby doll for an actual baby.
1: Are you gonna today?
13: Their daughter Clara played the part of Prince Hoken for the final few blocks.
1: Bird keep fever,
11: I'm a true
13: the the Burkabiners saved the day. Until they do it all again next year.
12: Start line, I'll be ready.
2: Visit Carvana.com or
3: download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs. A gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com/wandery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's slash wandery
4: In the decades after the Civil War, an estimated 100 all-black towns were settled across the United States. Most are long gone. but Martha Teichner visits one of the first and last that's still fighting to hold on.
16: It's only the telling that makes sense of these old photos of Eatonville, Florida. And the great teller of Eatonville's story was anthropologist and noted writer Zora Neale Hurston, who grew up here.
8: Joe Clark's store was the heart and spring of the town. Men sat around the store on boxes and benches and passed this world and the next one through their mouths.
16: Third-generation Eatonville resident N.Y. Nathiri heads the association to preserve the Eatonville community. Joe Clark is which one?
8: Standing at the left. Joe Clark was the mayor and actually the founder of the town of Eatonville. In
16: 1887, that it even happened was remarkable. After the end of the Civil War, formerly enslaved African Americans flocked to Central Florida to work. White property owners refused to sell them land until Joe Clark convinced two white northerners with homes in the area, Lewis Lawrence and Josiah Eaton, to make available plots they could buy in what became Eatonville, one of the first black towns to incorporate.
6: There was a lot of resistance uh, from the surrounding communities uh, because if they could incorporate, that meant that they could vote, they could have their own uh, law enforcement, they could manage their own business.
16: Everett Fly is a landscape architect who has spent more than four decades researching black towns. By 1915, there are
6: less than 60 incorporated black towns in the entire United States.
16: How many of those 60 are left?
6: I think probably 20, 25 is all that's left. More than 90% of it is about racism. It's everything from, oh, it's not important, or They won't know the difference if we move them out or erase them. No one's gonna do anything.
16: Eatonville today is struggling. The median income here, around $27,000 a year. This family dollar is the only store. There's no supermarket, no gas station, no pharmacy. So many of the black towns have disappeared. What's different about Eatonville? What we have the ability to do here is to
8: leverage the genius of Zora Neale Hurston and the authenticity of Eatonville as a cultural and historical space.
16: Zora tourism exists already.
1: Just enjoy the Zora Festival.
16: The Zora Festival, Nathiri's preservation group puts on every year before COVID regularly attracted over 50,000 people fewer now. But Eatonville would like to leverage something else. This land, 100 acres, 10 minutes from downtown Orlando, half an hour from Disney World, valued at more than $20 million in 2019, certainly worth much more now.
8: As a small community of 2,500, it's sitting on the largest undeveloped parcel of land in Orange County. It's sitting in a very
16: sweet position
8: geographically.
16: Nathiri's opinion, Eatonville's survival, will depend on who wins the fight over this land, which is as closely tied to its past as it is to its future. The trouble is, the town doesn't own it and never has.
8: This is an insult. This is an insult. No
16: trespassing keep out. Once, it was part of a 300-acre campus that occupied about 40% of Eatonville. The land was donated by philanthropists to a trust which operated the Robert Hungerford Normal and Industrial School, a private boarding school established in 1899 to provide vocational education to black students in the segregated South.
8: This is when I was in high school. I was voted
16: um, May Day queen. By the time Vera King went there, it was a black public school. This looks like one of the original boarding school it buildings.
8: It is. We had classes in that building. In
16: 1951, the Orange County School Board bought Hungerford from the trust that owned it. For a little over $16,000, the school board got all 300 acres. But with this important restriction the land still had to be used for the education of black children.
8: This is me at Hungerford.
16: For 30 years, Vera King worked at the high school that was built on the site. Now it's gone too, along with 200 of those 300 acres.
8: If we aren't careful, Ethanville is going to be extinct.
16: King, 85 years old, an Eatonville native, resents what happened when the Orange County Public Schools started selling off parcel after parcel of the Hungerford property, getting the courts and the trustees again and again to cut the number of acres required to be used for educating black kids. So now it's zero.
8: They really profited from it from those sales.
16: The Orange County school system was paid nearly $8 million in those deals. You have hashtag land Land back back. on your sleeve. Yes, nobody has made enough noise, and nobody has demanded the land back. Julian Johnson isn't the only Eatonville resident who thinks the Orange County public schools ought to just give the land to Eatonville as a kind of restitution. This is economic justice that we're fighting for. Land is economic justice. It's about demanding it back. You've done the people wrong over and over. So, with those last hundred acres set to be sold on March 31st to a developer for $14 million, well below their last appraised value, Johnson helped to mobilize for a showdown.
6: The streets are talking, the people are talking, and the people are angry and furious. Because
16: the only control Eatonville has over what gets built is through its zoning and planning. Last month, the town council met to vote on changes that would clear the way for this, a new community of more than 350 homes and apartments. Once the project is
5: built out, it'll offer shopping, dining, entertainment options for, uh, for
8: residents and visitors to partake and enjoy.
16: The packed room didn't see it that way.
8: Quite simply, this development will erase this living, thriving, historical community.
6: For y'all to come and put all this stuff up here and think we as black
16: people going to be able to stay here, shame on yourself.
8: We're going to be outnumbered, and I want you guys to vote no.
16: They did. But the developer can still buy the site and build, so long as it's something consistent with Eatonville's vision for the town's survival. In a statement to Sunday morning, the Orange County Public School system reaffirmed its commitment to go ahead with the sale. No word yet from the developer. For Eatonville residents, a lawsuit may be next. A last stand... In a losing war? Not if they can help it.
8: This is sacred land. It's special for us. It's who we are. And we're not going to let them take it away from us.
2: No. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car.
4: Comedian, actor, writer, and producer. Now he's adding another title: sleep aid.
17: When I was a little kid, yeah, that's what I look like. When I was a little kid, to enjoy stand-up comedy, you either needed to know someone whose parents owned comedy albums.
18: I think it's wrong that only one company makes the game Monopoly.
17: <laughs> or you had to stay up until after the local news and hope hope that Johnny Carson had a stand-up comedian on The Tonight Show. We've got some great guests, though. Often I fell asleep during the news. Remember when the news was boring? Mm -hmm.
11: Commuters who work in Chicago...
17: (sighs) Yes, I grew up a long time ago. I just look like I'm in my 20s. For decades, stand-up comedy has been accessible everywhere. Cable TV, satellite radio, Netflix, Amazon, YouTube, on all the social media platforms. It's a good thing, and it's changed many comedians' lives and allowed me to be the mediocre father of too many children. People can discover comedians they enjoy and immediately listen to that comedian. It's a win-win for everyone. Now, recently, I've noticed a trend that is, well, I think is odd. On more than one occasion, I've been told, often by a stranger, my 10-year-old son listens to you to fall asleep. My kids listen to you as a nighttime ritual. Your stand-up helps my teenager at bedtime. I'm always like, uh, okay. These comments are always presented as a compliment, but I'm never sure how to respond to being used as a sleep aid. When I go out to eat, if I order a salad, the waiter's always like, aw. It doesn't feel flattering to be told you're the human equivalent of warm milk. I've never been considered an edgy comedian, but I've constantly aspired to get laughs. Not snores. Anyway, next time you can't sleep, don't count sheep, just say, hey, play Jim Gaffigan. When you have kids, you lie to them all the time. You're like, you wouldn't like this ice cream, it's very spicy.
12: Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.
5: Stop brushing me back. Stop crowding the plane.
4: Ben Affleck and Matt Damon made movie history with Good Will Hunting some 25 years ago. Now they're together again in a new film that has them walking on air. They're in conversation with our Tracy Smith. So is it a bonus making this film, being able to spend more time with
2: each other?
7: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's uh, for sure. It was one of the things that we kind of. Uh, wanted to do is the idea of, like, why aren't we hanging out and spending more time together since we managed to stay friends this whole time?
9: Plus, we hit our 50s, so, I mean... <laughs> we have not much time left. I
7: mean, <laughs> I mean, you can see the end of the tunnel. <laughs> From the
2: sound of it, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon are in a good place these days. <laughs> They're working together again. And to hear them describe it, they've never had a
7: better time. Do you guys have an unspoken language?
9: Yeah, 40-something years of hanging out together. See, it's definitely... like a
7: common frame of reference, right? I find the most wonderful thing about it was I loved coming to work every day. I loved seeing Matt. I loved, first of all, he's a genius. Having him in your as the anchor See, of your movie just makes, makes it... No, I, I didn't used to think (laughs) this. But that, it it just makes it so easy. And it was just so much fun. I don't know, it's kind of felt like just us and getting to do the thing that we wanted to do. I did. I loved it. I loved it. I miss it every day since. It was the the best, like, uh, work experience of my life, without question.
2: And that experience is air. Your motor. The movie, in theaters only on April 5th, is about Nike and how, back in 1984, they built an entire shoe brand around one NBA rookie player they thought would become a household name.
9: I need the greatest basketball shoe that's ever been made.
17: Who's the player?
7: Michael Jordan.
2: Michael Jordan.
7: I'm willing to bet my career on Michael Jordan. Come on, man.
2: Affleck, who's also the film's director, plays Nike founder Phil Knight. And Damon is Sonny Vaccaro, the Nike exec who tries to sell him on the idea.
7: I mean, if you look at him, if you really look at Jordan, like I did, you're going to see exactly what I see. Which is what? The most competitive guy
9: I have ever seen. He is a f- killer.
2: Is it the shoes? We now know it turned out to be a killer deal for everyone involved. You
8: sure it's not the shoes?
2: The Jordan brand is still flying off the shelves, with sales of more than $5 billion last year alone.
10: Like the movie
2: is not a biopic, but Affleck made sure everyone looked as close to real as possible, especially
7: Damon. Did you notice that he's um, he lost the weight?
2: Yeah, so let's talk about that. My Physical transformation. My favorite thing about Ben
9: is that he put me in a fat suit when I finally get to work with him. And I Actually, my wife saw the movie, and I said, what did you think? And she goes, the movie is great. You look like... <laughs>
2: And according to Affleck, Michael Jordan himself had a few suggestions. What did he tell you was important to him?
7: A number of things, and I, I'm not sure that I'm at liberty to like, share every single one of them. But what I will tell you is he said, Baila Davis is going to be my mother.
9: Which is kind of like choosing Michael Jordan for your basketball yeah. team. <laughs> my name's Sonny Vaquero. I'm with
11: Nike. Do you typically make it a habit of showing up at people's front doors unannounced? I don't like to take no for an answer.
7: Oh, man. Here we go.
2: Viola Davis was, in fact, cast as Michael's mom, Dolores Jordan. Best day of my life. And Chris Tucker plays and helped write the part of someone he knows personally, Nike VP Howard White. All that matters is, how much do you believe?
7: I believe in you. I called Chris Tucker, and he was like, who I've always thought was a genius and wanted to work with. And he was like, I know Howard White. It's like, you know, Howard, right? Turns out later, Chris Tucker knows everybody. Literally everybody.
2: (laughs) One person we see very little of is an actor who plays Jordan. Why do we not see Michael Jordan in this movie? We
7: don't see Michael Jordan for the very, what was obvious reason to me, which is that this is a movie about an icon, about somebody who's so meaningful that the minute, you know, I show you somebody and tell you like, hey, that's Michael Jordan, you just go, no, it isn't. I know what Michael Jordan is. I know what he is. And not only that, the only actor who could play Michael Jordan was a little old to play this part, and we probably couldn't afford him. But the idea was, like, I can't, if I show you something, you know that's not Michael Jordan, and now everything else is fake.
2: So the final result feels real. And as always, it was a team effort. Ben Affleck and Matt Damon met as kids in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and clicked from the start, chasing the same Hollywood dream. You might not have caught them in 1989's Field of Dreams as extras somewhere in the crowd in Boston's Fenway Park. Are you like me now? But you might have seen them in this. My boy's wicked smile.
7: You don't owe it to yourself. You owe it to me. Because tomorrow I'm going to wake up and I'll be 50. And I'll still be doing it.
2: For Goodwill Hunting, both won the Oscar for original screenplay and it launched them, ready or not, into the Hollywood stratosphere. What did it do to you guys to win it that young?
9: I remember it didn't settle in for, it was like a couple years, I think. It was, so, it was just completely surreal.
7: March of 98, I was 25 years old. Yeah. I look at myself now and think, I still have quite a bit to learn. You know, That's the curse of being 25, is you think you have it all figured out. Put your hands
2: up! Of course, they have figured it out. Individually, they've earned everything from box office respect.
7: Here's your director. You teach somebody to be a director in a day? You teach a rhesus monkey to be a director in a day. To more Oscar yeah, I Gold. Say- I stood out here in front of you all, I, really just a kid, and uh, I went out, you know, and I, I never thought that I would be back here. Frankly, one of the lessons of growing older is it's not all about money. It's not the most important thing. You spend your life chasing money, you'll end up... You might end up with a lot of money, but you probably miss out on a lot of things. I haven't found that money changed any happiness that I had. In fact, that's the beautiful thing about this is the happiness was being able to be here every day in Los Angeles where my children are and see them every day, and them come visit the set, work with my best friend my whole life. There's nothing more that I want in my life. I thought, well, this this is it. This is what I've always wanted, you know? And then I thought, that might mean I'm about to die. Guys, I, I literally
9: <laughs> had the same thought. I was like, this is, this is this we've is actually reached the
11: mountaintop. (laughs)
2: And now, together, they've formed a new production company called Artists' Equity that'll give people on the film crew a bigger slice of the financial pie.
9: That's why it's called Artists' Equity, and the idea is that we're pulling a bunch of people above the line who traditionally aren't, and they they stand to do a lot better financially than they've ever done on movies before. I believe in your son.
16: I believe he's the future.
9: And his story is going to make
7: us want to fly. But a shoe is just a shoe.
16: Until my son steps into
7: it. You got a name for it? Air Jordan.
2: Air is their company's first offering, with more know. to come soon.
7: Seriously? Well, maybe it'll grow on me. We're uh, just getting rolling, uh, working in with, with Amazon to do uh, the story of a, a wrestler named Anthony Robles, who was born with one leg and won a national championship for Arizona State. And who's starring in that movie? I know where you're going with this, but I'm going to tell you who the lead actor is. And, uh, is there
2: another actor in that we, movie? We
7: always hire the very best performers, <laughs> and in this case I can say every single person that's been cast so far I think is the very absolute best choice
2: you're dancing around that jennifer lopez is i believe
7: yes i believe uh jennifer lopez may be doing that movie you're gonna make it look like she's just doing as a favor to me but actually (laughs) she is it seems
2: fitting that affleck and damon's new movie is a story about collaboration that's what got them here and what keeps them going
7: what fun and what a joy to do something for her see her be great go to work with your wife Go to work with your best friend because ultimately, like, your work becomes what the lion's share of what defines your life in terms of the time you spend. That's who it is. And if you don't like who you're working with and if you have difficulty or trouble at work, I think it's one of the things that can really cause depression, anxiety, and pain for people. And and conversely, you love the people at work. You probably have a pretty good life, you know?
11: The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.
3: What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have?
4: Commentary now from author Dan Lyons whose new book is a call to talk less and listen more.
18: Sooner or later every person who talks too much talks their way into trouble. You might offend someone or hurt their feelings. You might lose your job or wreck a relationship. I know because I'm an inveterate overtalker. I also know how hard it is to break the habit. That's partly because The propensity to overtalk is wired into your brain, and you can't change that. But also, we live in a world that practically forces you to talk too much. Social media is designed to get you posting, sharing, liking, and commenting. And we have somehow come to believe that success is measured by your ability to attract attention. The founder of a tech company once told me that he determined the value of people by how many Twitter followers they had. That was ridiculous. Look at Steve Jobs. He wasn't on Twitter at all. He had zero followers. What was his value, zero? In fact, most powerful and successful people talk less than other people, and they listen more. They speak with intention, and they understand the power of silence. Barack Obama is one of the greatest speakers of all time but he's an even better listener. Richard Branson is a billionaire entrepreneur and a big show-off in public, but in meetings, he mostly takes notes. Anna Wintour is one of the most powerful people in media and fashion, and she is famously quiet. Nobody ever knows what's going on behind those sunglasses. I discovered that in pretty much every aspect of life, talking less gives you an advantage. You might get a promotion, or negotiate a better salary. You'll almost certainly be a better parent and partner. The best thing is that you won't just improve your own life, you'll improve the lives of the people around you. There are thousands of books and classes that teach you how to be a better speaker. What we really need to learn is how to shut up. It takes the best to
11: set new standards. The best don't play by the rules. They make their own and do it with confidence and class. And breaking the rules to change the game is something BMW knows all too well. BMW has combined sports car power with high end luxury. From redesigning the dashboard to hands free controls, BMW stays at the forefront of automotive technology. Don't play by the rules, make your own. BMW, the ultimate driving machine.
9: Visceral, dramatic, uncompromising. The third-generation Range Rover Sport redefines sporting luxury and is the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable model yet. Combining assertive on-road performance with signature refinement, Range Rover Sport communicates power and agility. Dynamic by design, it delivers an instinctive drive with engaging on-road dynamics and effortless composure while the purposeful cockpit-like driving position of Range Rover Sport sets the tone for a focused interior that promotes exhilarating driver engagement. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com
4: You may know him as co-host of NPR's all things considered. But as Rita Braver reports, Ari Shapiro is a man of many talents. Ready to do yep. Okay.
0: And hit it.
4: As a co-host of National
10: Public Radio's flagship Ready evening both? broadcast. Open both.
14: Today is Wednesday, February 15th, and this is all things considered from- 44-year-old
10: Ari Shapiro is one of the network's highest profile correspondents. What makes a great story for you?
14: When I'm looking for a great story, I want a point of connection, I want high stakes, and I want a reason somebody should care. He helps shape coverage. I noticed that supplemental SNAP benefits for the pandemic end after this month.
10: Interviews newsmakers.
14: Then what does this mean for the future of Scotland and the future of the independence movement?
10: And he continues to report from the field.
14: Even though there is still death and fighting in Ukraine, south and east, the scene here at the Polish border has lost.
10: Yet back when he was a Yale undergraduate.
14: The truth is, I was rejected for an NPR internship. And I will remind any NPR bosses any time that I was rejected for an NPR internship.
10: But NPR's legendary legal affairs correspondent Nina Totenberg chooses her own interns. And
4: she gave him a shot. He was always willing. Did I have somebody who could go out to the courthouse with a tape recorder and stand there in the pouring rain?
10: Ari Shapiro (laughs) was there. After interning, Shapiro was able to get some behind-the-scenes gigs at NPR. But on his off time, he started reporting his own stories.
14: I decided to treat NPR as a free graduate school. And so I borrowed some equipment, And I asked people if they would teach me how to use it.
10: What did you find you liked about the reporting part of it? I'm nosy, (laughs) you know? Nosy, and as he relates in his new memoir, The Best Strangers in the World, used to feeling like a bit of an outsider, starting with growing up as one of the few Jews in Fargo, North Dakota, where his parents were professors.
14: So my older brother and I, we would go from classroom to classroom, carrying a menorah and a dreidel, and we would talk to these children descended from Scandinavian immigrants about what Hanukkah is and what Judaism is.
10: When Shapiro was eight, the family moved to Portland, Oregon, where he gradually came to another realization. You also described the fact of coming into the knowledge that you were gay and just feeling pretty comfortable about that from the get-go.
14: I remember really vividly thinking, the sooner I get this over with, the sooner it'll be a non-issue. So I told my parents, and they took it very well. They said they still loved me. It was a process, but it was a process that we went through
10: together. And he says that feeling a little like an outsider sharpened his reporting, whether covering the Justice Department, the White House, or spending two years as a London-based foreign correspondent.
14: NPR's Ari
10: Shapiro joins us now from White House correspondent Ari Shapiro. Our co-host Ari Shapiro
1: is there. Are we all ready?
10: Shapiro is married to Mike Gottlieb, his college sweetheart. But when they first decided to wed, you thought you needed to ask permission from NPR? Yeah.
14: yeah. 2004 was not that long ago, but in politics, in same-sex marriage, in gay rights, it feels like a lifetime.
10: What do you think changed in terms of being married to another man and being able to go out there and say, this is my husband?
14: I think the country kind of caught up to where we were. But I also just became more comfortable in my own skin. And that's part of what this book is about, is my figuring out that the things that differentiate us from one another make us more interesting, more valuable, more rich, And that those are things we should celebrate, not paper over.
10: Which is why Shapiro now spends his vacations singing. With the Portland-based band Pink Martini. Though he'd performed all through high school and college, Shapiro had put music behind him. Then he did a story on the band, A few years later, in 2008, Hink Martini's leader heard Shapiro sing of the party and invited him to record this song for the band's new album. And though he's sung to huge audiences all over the world,
14: when you say, oh, you're a serious journalist who sings with a band, there is a part of me. That still cringes a little bit, and I and I want to say to myself, Ari, not snap out of it. Don't cringe. Be proud. Really, you're singing at the Hollywood Bowl. (laughs) You've sung at Carnegie Hall.
10: But Pink Martini is not Shapiro's only side hustle.
14: We'll always be somebody's friend.
10: He also performs a cabaret act with Tony Award winner Alan Cumming, known for his work in theater, film, and television.
11: Anything you can sing, I can sing higher. I can sing any No, you can't. I
10: can no, The two had known each other for some time when Cumming pitched the idea to Shapiro.
14: And I stopped and I turned to him and I said, Alan, don't joke about that because I will absolutely take you up on it.
11: And then the next morning I had to sort of call him and say, I still mean it. I still want to do the show with you. I
10: love you in the morning. I love
11: you in the morning, yes. I, do, I still respect you. <laughs>
10: They call the act och and oi. He's the oi, which I get oi, but what's och?
11: Och is sort of a a Scottish version of oi. He's a Scot. He's a Jewish boy. I host a show on NPR. I'm a top international movie star.
10: What appeals to you about Ari as a person?
11: He's so full of zest for life. He loves, he's just so interested and and fascinated by things and is a geek, you know, is a big geek. But he's kind
10: of a cool geek, right?
11: I think he's, yeah, he's a cool geek. So I think that whatever he does will be truly what he wants to do. And I think he's kind of just finding that out right now. That's
14: just one of many stories we're reporting about the effects of Russia's invasion.
10: But right now, Ari Shapiro says he has just one goal, for all the different aspects of his work.
14: Whether I am singing to a live audience of thousands or broadcasting on the radio to somebody, you know, sitting alone in their driveway, I want to give somebody a reason to keep
1: listening. Do you ever wonder where all your money went? Like every single time you look at your bank account? Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. rocketmoney.com Wondery.
15: I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting.
4: Thank you for listening. Please join us when our trumpet sounds again next Sunday morning.
0: If you like CBS Sunday Morning with Jane Polly, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Each week, we go behind the scenes of the episode's biggest moments, taking you into the how and the why things happened. And this season, we're very lucky to be joined by an expert, the winner of Survivor 45, D Daris. What
2: is up? I'm thrilled to be joining this team and to be giving you my take on how and the why players made the moves they did what it takes to outwit, outplay, and outlast, and to ask Jeff some questions because even after 26 days out there, there is still
3: a lot for me to uncover.
0: Bring it, D. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Brighten your mornings with CBS News Sunday Morning Merchandise from ParamountShop.com. Shop mugs, sweatshirts, and t shirts to start your mornings with style. Take 20% off at checkout with code SUNDAY20 at ParamountShop.com. That's 20% off at checkout on all CBS News Sunday morning products with code SUNDAY20 at ParamountShop.com.